We are back with the second part of the three keys to teaching science session. And in this episode, we're going to chat about the second key, which is gathering information. Hi, I'm Paige Hudson, and you're listening to the Tips for Homeschool Science Show, where we're breaking down those lofty concepts of science into building blocks you can use in your homeschool. We will be breaking up this session into three easily digested episodes, one for each key, which we'll be sharing over the rest of this month. But we'll keep everything for these episodes in one place, which will be at elementalscience.com slash blogs with an S slash podcast slash the number three dash keys. You'll find takeaway tidbits, additional articles to explore, plus the full video when we're all done with the series. As we release each of the podcast episodes, we'll add them to this page as well. Well, with that housekeeping out of the way, let's join in on the three keys to teaching science session. So if you remember, those three keys are performing hands-on scientific tests, gathering information, and keeping a record. Let's take a closer look at gathering information. Remember, this is our chance to learn about the principles because science is both a content and a context subject. So we need to share those principles of science with our students. Let's look at why we need to have our students gather information or why this is a second key for teaching science at home. So the first reason is that science is a marriage of facts and applications. So it's not only information and principles and things that we know to be true, we also need to see those principles in action or to test new ideas um, of science. So science is this marriage between facts and applications. Our students need to know what's proven true in science, but they also need to see it. They need to have a visual reference of that as well. So the second reason why we want to gather information with our students is to build their knowledge base. Our students can't know everything there is to know about science within the first 30 minutes. There's so much to know. So we need to build this knowledge base over time. So we're starting early and often uh, with you know, teaching science or doing science in preschool or elementary years and teaching them the very basic parts. And then we're teaching, we're building upon that knowledge base uh, through the elementary years and through the middle school years and the high school years. And they'll graduate having a pretty good grasp of science. Uh, but we'll be building that knowledge base over time and then we'll be feeding them with age appropriate facts. So we're not going to teach our elementary student how to balance equations. Um, like we talked about the elephant toothpaste earlier, I could show my high schooler what the reaction for that was. And we can discuss more in depth about how uh, the yeast acts as a catalyst as a catalyst and why that is and all that kind of information. But my elementary student doesn't need to know that. My elementary student just needs to know that if I add something called a catalyst, it speeds up the reaction. So we're feeding them with age appropriate facts. Or, you know, we may just even need to teach our elementary student that, hey, this is a reaction. You know, when I mix these two things together, something happens and it changes. So we're feeding them with just the basics. And then we're building upon that during the middle school and our high school years. 
We want to gather information with our students because science is facts and applications and because we need to build their knowledge base over time. So what do we use to do this? Uh, like I've said before with the experiments, as homeschoolers, we have so many options. We don't have to stick to the standard textbook, although you can do that if you want. So the first thing we can use is living books. And typically we would think of living books for uh, history. So living books are books that are written by an authority on the subject and they weave facts into the storyline. Um, so basically a living book will draw the student in to the point where they'll be uh, interested in the story so much that they'll learn the facts without even realizing it. So it engages the reader and helps them want to continue to read more because they want to continue to read the story and then they're learning along at the same time. So that's why living books can be very effective tools for homeschoolers. So some of the older options that we have for living books, I'll give one caveat about using older options. Uh, there's been a few scientific advancements in the last hundred years. So you need to be careful when you choose an older option that there may be some things or some pieces of information in there that aren't quite as accurate. Uh, because we've learned quite a bit more about things like chemistry and physics over the last hundred years. But these are some of my favorite older options for living books. Uh, the books by Thornton Burgess, the bird books by him. Uh, you've got the parables of nature, Mother West Wind. Uh, there's a series called Among the, it's Farmyard People, Forest People, that series. Uh, the Storybook of Science, The Wonder Book of Chemistry, Again, you got to be careful. There's been a few advancements in chemistry, uh, but it's still a good book. And Madam How and Lady Why. So those are interesting books that have been written in the past about science that are in more story format. And then more modern options. Um, you can use The Cat in the Hat is a great series for preschoolers as it rhymes along, as it shares the scientific facts. Um, you got the Let's Read and Find Out series. Not technically a living book, but way more interesting than a nonfiction book. And then we have written the Sassafras Science Series. Uh, there's also a living history library, which has uh, books uh, or biographies for uh, scientists like Galen or Copernicus. And then there's a book called The Disappearing Spoon, which is wonderful for high schoolers about the history of chemistry. So those are some options that you could use for living books. Uh, the second type of resource that we could use is encyclopedias. I'm not talking about the full set of 26 encyclopedias that took up a whole bookshelf on your parents, uh, in your parents' living room. Anybody here have one of those? <laughs> yeah, we did too. So what I'm talking about here is the highly visual uh, children's encyclopedias, those put out by uh, DK, by Usborne, by Kingfisher, and even the little cartoony basher books. All of those are packed with information uh, in a visually appealing way. So you'll be able, your students will be able to get uh, snippets of information as they read from these encyclopedias. So some younger options for encyclopedias. Uh, the first encyclopedias from uh, DK, Usborne, and Kingfisher, they pretty much all have these, you know, first nature encyclopedia, first human body encyclopedia, or those are good options for your younger students. Uh, Kingfisher also puts out the series called uh, Discover Science. Or actually, I think they've changed it. I think it's Kingfisher Young Knowledge Series now. 
And then they also put out these bachelor science books. I will say that they are cartoony and they can be a little irreverent, the bachelor science books. So please, please, please preview those to see if it's appropriate for your children. And then some all-in-one options that I highly recommend uh, you get on your shelf at some point, usually in the later elementary uh, middle school years. These are great references to have on your shelf, whether you use them for science or not. I like the Usborne Science Encyclopedia. That's really great for about third through fifth grade. Uh, the Kingfisher Science Encyclopedia is good for about fifth through seventh grade. And then the DK Encyclopedia of Science, and that's a great reference from seventh grade on. So those are good all-in-one options for you to have on your shelf. Another resource we can use as homeschoolers is textbooks. I know you're thinking, why in the world is she mentioning textbooks? We're homeschoolers. We don't touch those. But textbooks have their value too. So especially during the high school years, textbooks are great options because they'll cover everything in a pretty comprehensive format. They'll go through in the order you need to go through. Um, and it just makes it easier to use a textbook, especially in high school. So I like Prentice Hall, uh, Miller and Levine, CK12. Those are good publishers for standard high school textbooks. Uh, there are plenty of other publishers for textbooks out there. Obviously, preview them before you use them with your kids. If you want to use uh, textbooks with younger options or with younger students, there are options out there. Um, in fact, we have a friend of a friend who used to sleep with her textbook under her pillow at night. So if you have a younger student who loves textbooks that much, by all means, go ahead, use textbooks. They definitely have their value. And then the fourth option we have as homeschoolers is YouTube. There are lots of really well done videos uh, by people like ACS Reactions or TED-Ed that you can use as a reference or a resource uh, to gather information. You can you could use it as your sole source of information. It would just take a lot of searching to find that. Um, but you can use it as a backup or a reference for uh, what you're studying. But always, always, always pre-screen because some people like to put things into a video that shouldn't be there for little eyes. So when you're using YouTube, always do that. So for gathering information, we can use things like living books, encyclopedias, textbooks, YouTube videos. I'm sure there's other articles and things like that that we can use. But what do we use when? So during the early years, in the beginning, we read to them. Obviously, they're still learning the skills of how to read uh, the basics of their numbers and phonics and all these things. So during their early years, we don't want our kids to struggle with science because it's difficult to read. So we'll read to them. So as they get older, we'll have them read more and more. And my only caveat here is to say that when you're choosing to assign reading for science, it's perfectly fine to keep it below their reading level. So your student may be reading on a fifth grade reading level, um, but it's perfectly fine to give them a science book that's at a third grade reading level because then they can focus on the information they're trying to learn rather on the physical act of reading. So they're not struggling through reading, they're learning the information. So as they get older, you can have them read in more and more, but keep that below the reading level so they're not struggling with the actual act of reading. And how often should we gather information? Like we said earlier, uh, we should gather or we should do hands-on science once a week. We need to gather information about twice a week. So we'll be doing some kind of related hands-on once a week, and then we'll be gathering information about the principles that were going on in that uh, demonstration or experiment about twice a week. And how can you succeed with gathering information? Well, 
my first tip is to keep it interesting. So you want to use books that hold in their interest. You want them to be excited about reading science. You don't want them to groan every time you pull out whatever resource you're using. So if you love the idea of a living book, but your student just wants the facts and prefers a textbook or an encyclopedia, then you need to use what keeps what will hold their interest. But you may find that your student just prefers textbooks or they prefer living books or they prefer to watch YouTube videos. And as much as possible, we want to cater to uh, that preference. Of course, you know, ultimately, sometimes there are things that they just need to learn uh, and it needs to happen from a certain resource and that's fine. But as much as possible, we want to help to keep it interesting and give them resources that they will enjoy learning from. So the second tip is to always discuss. Like we talked about with the experiments, we always want to discuss what we're doing. For our younger students, we'll be reading to them. So we'll read the selection to them, and then we'll ask them more broad and leading questions. So what did you find interesting about what we just read? What is one thing you remember? Or we can ask them more uh, leading questions like, what does the fur on a polar bear's feet do? So we're looking for a specific piece of information when we ask those more leading questions. But you always want to discuss that with your younger students before you ask them to write down a thing. And then your older students, you can ask a more specific and thought-provoking questions. So you want to ask them something like, so they've read the selection. You may or may not read it with them. If you're coming up with your own questions, you're probably going to need to read them. If you have a good curriculum that has those uh, answers to the questions for you, you don't have to worry about reading it. Um, but they're going to be reading on their own. And then you're going to ask some questions like, uh, you're going to ask some more specific questions. So you're going to say, how is the polar bear suited for life in the Arctic? So we're making them think about the information that they've just read. And the reason why we're doing these two things, why we're keeping it interesting and why we're discussing things with, or why we're discussing orally with them after we finished reading is because that discussion time prepares the students for the third key. So we've chatted about performing hands-on scientific tests. We've chatted about gathering information. And now we're going to look at the third and final key, which is keeping a record. Well, I trust you now understand quite a bit more about how to share the content of science with your students and how to add this second key to your homeschool. Next week, we'll listen in on the third and final part of the session where I share about the final key, which is keeping a record. To help you out with gathering information, we've shared the links to several more tips and tools on the page for the session, which you can find at elementalscience.com slash blogs with an S slash podcast slash the number three dash keys. If you still have questions, go ahead and leave a comment on that post or send your questions to podcast at elementalscience.com. If you've enjoyed this peek into our conference vaults, would you take a moment to leave a review for the Tips for Homeschool Science show? These reviews help others know that this show is worth listening to. Plus, it helps determine where to rank this podcast. I would really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great week playing with science. 
don't like the idea of creating your own homeschool science plan from scratch? I've got great news. We can help you. At ElementalScience.com, we offer several lines of science programs that include the three keys we just discussed, all laid out for you. Head on over to ElementalScience.com to learn more.